Talk to us now and go to the TNT Radio interactive live chat room at tntradio.live. Lighting the fuse for freedom. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Critically analyzing national affairs. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Yes, happy Monday. We are broadcasting live. It is the 8th of January, 2024. I'm Brian McLean. They call me Hesher. I'm broadcasting live out of Central Texas, and I'm here with Steve Hook, broadcasting live out of Central New Jersey on the Jersey Shore there. Steve Hook, welcome to State of the Nation, and happy Monday. Yeah, brother, here we are, back at it again, back to the salt mine, and uh, lots going on, lots to talk about, and um, looking forward to it. I don't know about you, Hesh, but I get the sense that uh, this is going to be an incredibly ugly campaign season. I just got finished watching the doddering old fool we call president uh, give one of the most blistering, just vitriolic speeches uh in south carolina and it was staggering so that's what we have to look forward to so that'll be fun oh yeah well that rides just perfectly on what we talked about last week with the first campaign ad for him of 2024 right back and it was like a remix of his uh, 2020 campaign launch video pretty much same images same concept division amongst americans etc etc and you know, Steve, this is interesting because it all comes on the, what is this, the three-year anniversary of January 6th. So it's been three years yep. since uh, what started as the Stop the Steal rally in Washington and ended in uh, what many like to call a breach by Capitol protesters at the Capitol there by the protesters, but <laughs> some call it an insurrection. I call it a Fedneck insurrection. Uh because the immediate the immediate cries were like oh it's just a bunch of rednecks trying to break windows and it was like no these they're it's rife with federal agents don't kid yourself but you know we would be remiss steve if we didn't bring it up on the anniversary here because uh the doj and the fbi have undertaken the largest manhunt in their history arresting more than 1200 people who entered capitol grounds that day and you know steve um there's so much that you know, we could say to summarize this, that we could talk about the manner of the arrests, the information used to make them, the following, the follow-up, the fact that the TSA has been following people for three years who were even in the area, in the region that yeah. day, not even associated with it. And then there's the arrests and the prosecutions. My goodness, Steve, more than 1,237 people arrested uh, and the vast majority of these 1,160 charged with entering or remaining in a restricted federal buildings or grounds, um, you know, and notably, despite claims that the event amounted to an insurrection, none of the defendants arrested in connection to J6 have been charged with actual insurrection. And then we get into that jurisprudence factor and the Trump factor here. And uh, we really are still seeing the repercussions and the reverberations from this for uh, three years down the road, Steve. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it's so, uh, well, let me just put it to you this way, Hash, uh, to your point. Today, President Biden delivered a speech from the church that Dylan Roof went into in Charleston, South Carolina, and killed people. 
He didn't pick that church on accident. He picked it so he could say white supremacy is a problem. Our nation sucks. Trump supporters are racist. They're all traitors. Blah, blah, blah. January 6th. Well, it just so happens two days ago on January 6th, on the real day of the three-year anniversary, I was with the families of some of those people that are locked up in prison right now. And if you could hear their stories, you would know that all of this J6 talk is not only BS, it is police state, uh, it, it is the most, it's Stasi, it is, it is outrageous what they have done to some of these people. I'd always been one of those guys that kind of sat on the fence and say, well, you know, you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And then you hear what the actual stories are. Uh, and it's it's it just knocks your socks off how how abjectly corrupt uh, this this government is being with this. And this is being used as a political cudgel because it's all they've got. I mean, what else can they point to? I mean, when you're pointing to January 6th of three years ago as your campaign slogan, you know, your campaign is uh, off to a pretty shoddy start. And judging by where he held his speech today. And judging by this three-year anniversary we're discussing right now, I would say it's abundantly clear that the Biden campaign is off to a very, very shoddy start. Yeah, that's yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. It's it's bad. Uh, this is a bad situation, and the chilling effect of it is something noteworthy here. I'd like to bring up as we close this out, Steve. Um, quote: "There's a term that we developed in one of our cases, what we'll call the special January 6th jurisprudence end quote that's what uh attorney joseph mcbride told the epoch times he went on to say it's the concept that all constitutional law criminal criminal law civil rights law from the inception of our country up until january 5th of 2021 is one body of case law and then you have everything that came after it uh and the use of these obscure statutes he went on to say could have a chilling effect on free speech so i'd like everybody to keep that in mind regardless of an identity politic that you may hold uh this chilling effect goes across the aisle it goes across the nation and we need to have honest conversations about what actually happened and not just approach this from the orange man bad perspective that is a, a losing proposition because whatever comes of it will ricochet back on all the identity politics of this country all right if you missed your favorite tnt radio show or interview simply listen back when you want wherever you want just visit the episodes on the tnt website we're also on all the major podcast platforms, so Apple, Google, Spotify, Amazon, Podbean, iHeart, TuneIn, and all the other good ones, and the video streaming platforms, so there's no reason to miss out on anything on TNT Radio. Russia. Gas prices. COVID mandates. It just doesn't seem like anybody's doing anything about it. Today's News Talk Radio. TNT. So on Sunday, the Pentagon released officially key details about Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin's continued hospitalization. However, everyone is still left wondering exactly how and why U.S. <laughs> officials, including the president, were kept in the dark for days about the condition of the country's most senior defense official. Here with the story, joining us now is TNT Radio News producer Adam Clark, a.k.a. Ruckus. Ruckus, what is going on here? This is not a good look. 
Everything's fine. Calm down. This is normal. This is totally how we do things here in America 2024, don't you know? Uh, yeah, apparently Lloyd Austin, the defense secretary, uh, had a medical procedure take place on December 22nd. He went home a day later, but he was admitted to intensive care on January 1st when he began experiencing severe pain related to this as of un yet unknown medical procedure. Uh, all of this information is coming as members of both sides in Congress are expressing sharp concerns about the fact that this was a secret, especially the fact that the president and other senior leaders were kept in the dark about it for days. Uh, we have a statement that was released by Air Force Major General Pat Ryder. However, uh, the statement did not provide any details about the medical procedure or what exactly happened on Monday that required Mr. Austin to be in intensive care at Walter Reed Army Medical Center. Major General Ryder said Mr. Austin was placed in the hospital's intensive care unit, quote, due to his medical needs, but then remained in that location in part due to hospital space considerations and privacy, end quote. Interesting word, all things considered. The Pentagon's failure to disclose Mr. Austin's hospitalization, including to the President El Jose Biden, the National Security Council, and top Pentagon leaders for days reflects a stunning lack of transparency about his, about his illness, about how serious it was, and about when he may be released. Such secrecy when the United States is juggling myriad national security crises runs counter to normal practice with the president and other senior U.S. officials and cabinet members. Major General Ryder said that the National Security Council and Deputy Secretary of Defense Kathleen Hicks were not notified until Thursday, January 4th, that Mr. Austin had been hospitalized since Monday, January 1st. Major General Ryder said Mr. Austin's Chief of Staff Kelly Magsiman was ill and, quote, unable to make notifications before then, end quote. He said she informed Ms. Hicks and the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan on Sunday, on Thursday. Once notified, Ms. Hicks began preparing statements to send to Congress and made plans to return to Washington. Ms. Hicks was in Puerto Rico on leave, but had communications equipment with her to remain in contact and had already been tasked with some secretary level duties on Tuesday. So it's not a good excuse. The Pentagon did not say if Ms. Hicks was given an explanation on Tuesday for why she was assuming some of Mr. Austin's duties, but temporary transfers of authority are not unusual and are often done without detailed explanations. Ms. Hicks decided not to return after she was informed that Mr. Austin would resume full control on Friday. The president... Biden was told of Mr. Austin's medical stay on Thursday by Mr. Sullivan, according to three people saying that they knew about everything. Uh, this was uh, them speaking to the Associated Press on condition of anonymity. Of course, by now you may have heard that the former president, Donald Trump, uh, went to his truth social and said, uh, quote, failed Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin should be fired immediately for improper professional conduct and dereliction of duty. He has been missing for one week and nobody, including his boss, Crooked Joe Biden, had a clue as to where he was or might be, end quote. And it's not just the former president. As you could imagine, there are plenty of Republicans who are concerned about this. But it's not just Republicans expressing alarm. Oh, no. Oh, no, there was actually a joint statement where Representatives Mike Rogers, who is a Republican from Alabama, and Adam Smith, 
not a Republican, but a Democrat from Washington, said they were, quote, concerned with how the disclosure of the secretary's condition was handled, end quote. I would guess, gentlemen, that a lot of folks are waking up today quite concerned about how the disclosure of the secretary's condition was handled. But what do you guys think? (laughs) I would, Hesher, I would just say that if there were ever any doubt that Biden was not controlling things, uh, that doubt has now been uh, erased because Lloyd Austin goes on uh, December 22nd, has elective surgery. Lap band. Can anybody say lap band? I don't know, but you know, I'm just throwing it out there. Uh, and then all of a sudden, a few days later, he's in severe pain and he goes to the hospital, checks in. He is still there to this day. About an hour ago, after this story originally broke this morning, now Defense Department is coming out and saying, Oh, he's fine. He's still in the hospital. The good news is he's out of ICU and he is doing all of his normal functions from a hospital bed. And President Biden uh, now knows. Uh, I, I don't know. I, I think Republicans uh, ought to jump all over this. This is so blatantly screwed up. You've got the uh, defense secretary in the hospital, unbeknownst to the president. The defense secretary's main assistant is suffering the flu and can't be bothered. The number two is somewhere in St. Croix on vacation when all this is going on. Meanwhile, the world is on fire and Biden is clueless. That's all I have to say. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, you know. First off, um, as a former uh, federal worker, I will say this is pretty standard issue for government employees. You get a lot of uh, time off. You get a lot of sick leave. Very lenient in that way. So uh, I know people that moved out of the state where they were employed and lived in another state thousand miles away uh, for almost a year before the employer even noticed they were gone. So that kind of stuff is going on. And if you think those kind of uh, perks don't go from uh, the bottom up and the top down, well, yeah, they kind of do. But uh, this is a pretty big job that uh, Lloyd has here. And to the Pentagon's defense, why would they tell Biden? Why why would you even bother telling that guy? He has nothing to do with any of this. We all know he's some (laughs) sort of puppet, some sort of golem or something. I'm not really sure. Um, but yeah, the myriad of crises that you bring up, Ruckus, uh, the lack of transparency, uh, that really says it all. And then, Steve, you said, oh, they're saying he's fine now. Yeah, right. I remember when uh, Fetterman was just fine. And now there's some yeah. guy walking around uh, wearing his name tag that I'm not even sure is the same dude. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, in this day and age, man, I wouldn't I wouldn't put anything past him, but uh yeah, Green, I mean, uh, Defense Secretary Austin is is just, uh, he, he was inept as a commander uh, when he was a commander of CENTCOM, and uh, he hasn't gotten any better, and now he's just saying, oh, I'm going to get an elective surgery and not bother to tell, uh, you know, the, 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 the uh, you know, the president, the commander in chief. I just think the whole thing is, it's just so uh, symptomatic of this administration, so symbolic of this administration in a way of how they handle things. It's, it's bizarre, but, but it's become commonplace. Yeah, exactly. Well, the emperors are wearing no clothes these days, so it makes for a lot of open goals for us when it comes to open source mainstream news. Uh, Ruckus, this may explain why um, why Lloyd looks a little plasticky all the time. I guess he's uh, keeping up with things in the modern sense. <laughs> <laughs> what, what? 
do I have to be the one to point out why why do we even taking what they're saying about this at face value? Who's yeah. to say it really is an elective surgery? Who's to say he didn't have some sort of uh, adverse event to some sort of therapeutic that he's involved in? I don't know what that could possibly be. <laughs> Use your imagination. So, yeah, who the heck knows? Uh, interestingly enough, it's actually the media who's actually c- crying foul about this uh, louder than anybody. The Pentagon Press Association, it's an organization representing members of the media involved in U.S. Defense Department coverage. They described the delay in disclosing the defense secretary's hospitalization as, using their word here, an outrage. So, <laughs> hey, but where was their outrage during uh, various times in recent history? That's all I got to say. Selective outrage, my friends. That's what they want us to have. All right. Thank you, Ruckus. You're watching State of the Nation on today's News Talk. You should hear what Charlie Robinson is talking about. I think once we saw the supply chain issues uh, that happened during the COVID debacle, you go, well, that seems bad for the, you know, when you're fighting somebody for toilet paper, but it could be worse, right? It could be the last can of food. So people are starting to reevaluate and reassess their situations and their relationship with supply chains and the like. And I think what that does is it leads you to a place of saying, how can I make myself less dependent on the system? It's kind of hard to know where to start, right? Where would you suggest we even begin with this process? Yeah, it's funny you said that because someone said to me recently and it made me laugh that this is going to be the kind of collapse where the Burger King's still open. I I think that's what's probably lulling people into a false sense of security in that everything when we go to the city kind of appears normal unless you're in one of those really crazy drug adult cities. But for most people, I would say charlie it feels normal but it ain't normal (laughs) the world is not normal it's completely gone off kilter charlie robinson on today's news talk radio tnt the light is britain's far-right conspiracy theory paper spreading hate and vicious lies No, that's what the BBC say. The Light is the only national newspaper bringing you the real news and informed opinion on what's really going on today. You can subscribe, order copies, submit articles and read back issues on our website, thelightpaper.co.uk and see for yourself why the establishment are so worried about the uncensored truth getting out to people every month. They've launched a new service called Wake Up Your Neighbours where you can get copies delivered to the streets right around you if you don't want to do it yourself. The Light Paper. Not for right, just right so far. Thelightpaper.co.uk Our next steps to space. This time we go back to the moon to learn to live, to work, to invent, to create. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, one week away from the Iowa caucus, and we are in the first round of what promises to be not only a raucous caucus, but probably a pretty ugly campaign season if the Biden and Trump speeches or any indication of where we're headed here. Trump, of course, is ramping up his base, pointing out policy failures by Biden, pointing out the open border, pointing out the world being on fire. Biden, on the other hand, is going scorched earth on white supremacy and insurrection, and Trump is a dictator, that kind of talk. To help us break all of this down, we could think of nobody better to join us here on State of the Nation than Steve Cohen. Steve has been at this for a long, long time. Uh, he's also one of the founding executive producers of Court TV. He's been in the in the business, though, since 73. Mr. Cohen, hello, sir. How are you? Welcome to State of the Nation. It's great to see you. You too. Happy New Year to you and your listeners. Thank you. And you as well, you as well, Steve. I, I, I think you you bring up the most important topic of the week from uh, from my perspective as a media watcher, which was uh, President Biden's uh, efforts 
to continue to demonize uh, Donald Trump and uh, January 6th. There's just no question that mainstream media was ready for that, almost as though they all got together and had a, you know, had a coffee hour or something, because what they did was say, we're going to change the narrative. The narrative is going to be not about the issues, not about the economy, not about migrants, not about the border, not about no foreign policy. It's going to be about one thing is that Donald Trump is a danger to American democracy. And that's the way I see it. That's the way mainstream media played it across the board uh, on January 6th. Do you agree, Steve? Yeah, I fully agree. And not only that, but I mean, I, I think that it's, I think that it's the only the only uh, foothold they've got. I mean, what else can they point to? I was just reading a story, Steve, here. It says uh, this is from uh, Semaphore, picked up by Fox News. It says a meeting between Biden camp, to your point, a meeting between the Biden campaign officials and the New York Times seems to have gone awry. Apparently, the Biden campaign has pulled a whole bunch of media buddies together and said, this is what you're getting right. This is what you're getting wrong. Here's the blueprint of how we want you to play this out. And apparently, the New York Times is scoffing and kind of backing up at this and saying, wait a minute, Mr. President, what do you think about this? I mean, would a would a Republican nominee or a Republican president get this kind of uh, velvet glove treatment from the mainstream press? Yeah, well, I, I think that it's particularly onerous because if you read, if you read, and I would encourage your readers to go online and read the New York Times editorial of yesterday, which was a lengthy editorial, which basically totally supported the new uh, January 6th dialogue. I don't think that they like being pushed around by President Biden, but that's a separate issue from what they're saying. There's no question that that editorial attempts to say that if Donald Trump gets into the race, for the presidency, that America is doomed. Now, here's what's the problem with that. Once you set that up culturally, which the New York Times did, and that Biden did down at uh, in Pennsylvania uh, on January 6th, everybody begins to pick up on the narrative. Let me give you an example. So there was a survey done of all the late night hosts that just came out uh, over the weekend. 82% of all the jokes that they did about politics were about Trump being the demon that would kill democracy. This is the comics that are representing America. Last night, Trevor Noah was nominated as best stand-up comic by the Golden Globes. He didn't win, but he was one of the stand-up comics. What is he known for? This sense that it's an apocalyptic time for America, and we're all going to hell in a handbasket. Now, when you put all that together culturally, Steve, what you get is a mindset that is sent across America and then reiterated and reinforced on social media that says we are going, that America is in trouble. And who is the main factor in going in that trouble? Well, Donald Trump is the voice of it, but white people are the cause of it. And yeah. that's the narrative that the Democrats are going to take out across. Look at that. The Democratic Party went from being a party of working class folks and minority support and unions to this, which is an elitist anti, you know, anti-European party because they, they, they think that's the way to win. So yeah. that's my speech, yeah. guys. Hi, how you doing? I'm great. It's good to see you again, Mr. Cohen. Thank you for joining us. I'm, I'm just chomping at the bit listening to you because no, the ahead. narrative- Why don't you take off, take off on what I just said. 
All right. Well, the narrative management, I think, is is the key here. Uh, we've seen the the you know the media conglomerates just get smaller and smaller with regards to ownership and editorial uh, rights, and and journalism shrink into this sort of mockingbird style of journalism. And I just can't help but sit. I'm sitting here thinking about this while you're talking, and I can't help but think about. This may sound off topic, but I'll circle back. Um, former President Obama and his wife just produced a movie that went out on Netflix, and it's about a World Economic Forum cyber polygon style event where all the power turns off and all the communications turn off in the country. And the the main message of the movie is that the um, white supremacy and white privilege will clash with all other ethnicities here in the country when that happens if that happens and then you look at the launch of biden's 2020 campaign and i'm gonna have to take a headline before i get your thought on this so stand by when that happens it'll be a brief one but when Bi biden launched his 2020 campaign all the video was from charlottesville and all the talking points were about white supremacy and extreme uh, extreme right politics and this and that and now that dovetails with his 2024 campaign uh, launch video, same things. They show the the you know mass media cartel picture of the the hangman's noose in front of the Capitol that the FBI agents set up the night before. You know, by pretty much everybody's estimation who's looked into it, and they're still talking about this, and they're still persecuted. We hit the three year uh, anniversary of J six, so the narrative control seems to be so paramount. So I would like to get your comments on what people like us can do and what people like you out there watching today's news talk can do to take this narrative back out of the hands of a corporate media that's being influenced by a DOJ, FBI, CIA, and the likes and corporate likes also. This is State of the Nation on today's news talk. Here comes a headline. Now, TNT Radio News. Uh-oh. Scandal. Huge news. This is very important. For TNT, this is James O'Neill. The Islamic State terrorist group claimed responsibility for a deadly explosion on a minibus in Kabul, Afghanistan late Saturday. Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban may potentially gain significant influence over the European Council during Hungary's upcoming presidency of the body. North Korea continued its military activities near the contentious sea boundary with South Korea on Sunday by firing over 90 artillery shells. The common housefly, caught in the clutches of the spider's web. Every move it makes just makes matters worse. Then, dinner time. Feast on the captivating stories, videos, and helpful information on our website. Whoa. Dinner's ready. Oh, man. Escape is futile. Just one more video. Get stuck in our web. TNT Radio. Dot live. Mr. Cohen, what is at stake if we cannot reclaim the narrative and bring some clarity and some nuance back to it? Uh, I, th I think what's at stake is the simplest part, which is the re-election of somebody who's a Democrat as nominee of president. And we have four more years of more of this dialogue, which is diminishing our republic and not engaging it and not making it better. I, I think that one of the points you make, which is so important, is it diminishes people of color to think that they all have the same ideology as the progressives of the left. That's just not the case. It's 100% not the case. Uh, people of color are, are free thinkers, just like everyone else. We are not racially divided as a country. We are a single country. 
when people ask me, they say, Steve, what's the media's sense of the identity of America? I say the problem is that mainstream media is trying to divide us racially when, in fact, our our most important unifying factor is we're Americans, right? And I think that's the narrative that the Republican Party and the GOP is trying to get out. I noticed that Governor DeSantis, uh, after the, the January 6th speech by Biden, said something I thought that was really smart. He said, look, do you want the campaign to be about that or do you want the campaign to be about the issues that really we have to face as Americans? And I think that's a, that's not a bad campaign speech. And I, it does seem to me that that could resonate with uh, with Americans and particularly the large flock of independent voters. So I don't I'm not prepared to be uh, negative about it. I still feel optimistic that most of the time Americans do find their way to the right answer. I know that sounds like, you know, that sounds like I'm a Pollyanna guys, but I'm not. I think America does find its way to the right answers, you know, most most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time we do. And the result of that is, is that eventually the left will wither because what the left is about is special interests, identity groups, and, is- and issues that, can, can, that are, they are interested in, which are all about identity and definition and not about progress. And I think that when we look at how media is covering this, if you look at this few people like Fox, uh, Newsmax, uh, Real America's Voice in America, that talk about these issues, they are still trying to talk about progress and commerce. Progress, commerce, taking care of the rest of us. You know, look, I, somebody did an analysis the other day, which I thought was clever. Guy, guy came on and said, I used to buy a Pop-Tart. You know what Pop-Tarts are, right? I used to buy a Pop-Tart for 99 cents. Okay, so that was cool. And now that same Pop-Tart, in the same package, the same thing, it's 229. How does that happen? And Biden is telling us that everything's cool. Well, that's happened to everything that's in the supermarket, right? So you go, something's the matter here, and there's a lie out there. And I think that um, intuitively Americans know that, although I don't think you could see it from mass media. So I agree with you. I think mass media is, is in the way of the reality that Americans are trying to find. I think I think the White House response to that, uh, Steve, would probably be that, well, the manufacturer of pop tarts are white supremacists. I guess. I mean, uh, <laughs> they just they just don't have any other argument to make, and it's it's very disappointing. Today, President Biden gave his second major speech, again filled with vitriol, and he chose the church in Charleston, South Carolina, where Dylan Roof back in 2015, when Biden was vice president, it should be pointed out, uh, went on that killing spree. And he's using an event of 2015, which was obviously filled with racial animus by a kid that was had some very serious mental issues. He's using that to paint damn near half the population as white supremacists. And we know that the black media... Uh, Charlemagne, the God, the big podcast host, host that is very big in uh, urban urban uh, centers, from what I understand, he basically came out last week and said, "I'm not voting for Democrats anymore." So, to your point, they are not monolithic, but the Democrats don't seem to have any other game plan. That's it. There it is. Well, I think, but I think that you see how all, all these things thread together. So you start with Biden, uh, January sixth. And then you look at the shooting in Iowa of last week, right? 
And then you look at the NRA, uh, you know, the, resi the resignation of LaPierre at the RNA. And what the left, what the left wing media is doing is they just they, they've just threaded that all together, like those three events somehow suggest some sort of patterning on the part of American conservatives. And of course, it doesn't. They're all three very separate events, but they're being covered in the same fashion as though they come from, as you say, a single route. The single route is that the guys that are in charge, meaning folks that are uh, Europeans, right, they come from European background, are somehow about holding back the rest of America. You know, nobody bought, nobody really thinks that's true. I'm telling you, nobody, n nobody thinks that's true. I mean, even Larry Tribe, who you both know, the great uh, liberal attorney out of Harvard, said today, I don't get this uh, insurrection thing. It doesn't make any sense that anyone would think that a court in a state could decide about whether the president was an insurrectionist or whether he should be on the ballot or not. That's not a state decision, folks. That's a larger decision. So I think we're all expecting that the Supreme Court maybe come out will come out 9-0 on whether states can decide this, saying, no, states can't decide this. The guy needs to be on the ballot. So I don't disagree with either of you, but I do think that there is hope here because if you drub America enough, Americans enough with this stuff, eventually they say, I'm done. And that, that is yeah. right. You don't. And, and when you when when the left, the other narrative of the left on mainstream media now is uh, that Trump represents autocracy, whatever they think autocracy is. I don't know if they you know, if they don't if they could spell autocracy, let alone know what it is. But but the only reason autocracy happens when you have liberty is because the population gets so darn fed up with what the other side is doing. They can't take it anymore. And so when you lose um, the Kerensky government in, in, um, in Russia in between the revolution, we, there was a real democratic uh, happening there with Kerensky. But the people were so fed up with what was going on that they got rid of Kerensky. Weimar Republic, best example. Weimar Republic, liber liberty, right? Gone. Why? Because people got so fed up with what was going on in the battles between the old Republic, you know, the old Germany and the new Germany. And then China is another great example. You know, Chiang Kai-shek and all, and all his folks, yeah. the nationalists, the nationalists couldn't, you know, they, they couldn't shoot straight. They had no idea what they were doing. So after Mao's long march, it was a slam dunk for him to take over China. So I, I think you just got, it doesn't take much history to figure out that the reason Donald Trump still has 75 million people behind him, he has an army uh, he has an army of people, in my view, still ready to vote for Trump or an alternative. I, I just it just seems to me that that 75 million has not had anything to say that's been good about them since the election. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Cohen and the numbers seem to be growing, as Steve pointed out, as polls are starting to show. Not that we put too much weight into the polls because we've been fooled yeah. by these things before, but we're seeing a massive shift in demographics. We're seeing a massive shift away from uh the 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 kleptocracy i mean only a kleptocracy would accuse the, the impossible incoming trump uh administration of being an autocracy you know so that's i feel like that's where we're at and um we're almost out of time here but um do do you think that 
the we're going to see um, a wave of votes that can overcome all of the uh, voting election integrity issues, shall we say? I, th I think that what we're going to see is a very good election, closely watched, where everyone can believe in the results. And we're also going to see that the great uh, group of independents are just not going to put up with this dialogue that demonizes Trump and claims that America is going to hell. I don't think anybody believes that except the progressive left. There you go. And, and like we said, that may be a dwindling number, not a growing one. Mr. Steve Cohen, thank you so much for your expertise, your time, Thanks, your Steve. work, everything you do. Thank you for joining us here. We'll look forward to having you oh, back on again real soon. Always a pleasure. Thank you both. Absolutely. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk. While serving in Vietnam, a grenade took my ability to see. Today, I'm a sculptor creating new visions. Now, my fingers are my eyes. As a veteran, I know the challenges of life can be great. In my art, turning a lump of clay into something beautiful, that means a lot to me. Life is like that. We each must use what we can to make things better. DAV helps veterans like Michael get the benefits they've earned. They help more than a million veterans every year in life-changing ways. Now, I show others how they can create something with their own hands. With support from DAV, more veterans can shape their lives into a thing of beauty. My victory is bringing beauty into the world. Michael Naranjo, may your victories inspire many more. Support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. Around here, bushfire is just a part of life. We've been through it before. And we'll get through it again. The people here all look out for each other. We're a community that does its bit to plan and prepare. To keep everyone safe. We live with bushfire. So we live bushfire ready. Critically analyzing national affairs. This is State of the Nation on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Well, we've got new laws impacting housing in San Diego, California, and at hand are ADUs, flipped houses, fire hazards, and tenants' rights. So here to break down what the changes are and how they may affect residents in San Diego is President-elect of the San Diego Association of Realtors rejoining us, Mr. Mark Powell. Mark, welcome back to State of the Nation. Happy New Year. Kick us Happy off New with Year. the ADU topic. What What is an ADU and what's changing with regards to ADUs? Okay, an ADU is an acronym for Accessor Auxiliary Dwelling Unit, commonly known as a granny flat. Typically, when somebody wants to build an ADU on their property, they're going to put one six, 600 square foot, five, 600 square foot granny flat, casita, ADU, whatever you want to call them. And that was normally to bring in, let's say, an elderly person, maybe a kid that was off to college that wants to come back and wants a little bit of privacy. But Steve, guys here, this what we're witnessing here is actually the destruction of single family residential units. Because what's happening here in San Diego is, in California is, is kind of crazy. It could lead up to some serious things. So let's say you build an ADU on your property. You have one ADU, it's in the backyard. This, the, if, if a city opts in 
they will allow you to sell that ADU as a separate property. So essentially, you split your lot and one person will own one half with the ADU and another person will own the other half with the, the house that was on there. However, a bill called Senate Bill 10 allows property owners to build up to 10 ADUs on their property. So let's say your lot was big enough, you built 10 ADUs in your backyard, you sell each of them off as a separate property. Now, essentially the person next door is living next to a condominium complex. And, and the infrastructure, I don't believe, is gonna be prepared to have 20 toilets versus three toilets or expansion to the electrical grid you, you already know that the grid is so strained on hot days they tell you not to charge your electric vehicle because the grid can't take it so there are some people that like it who likes it guess the government because now the government not only taxes the one person who had the one house on the property they get 11 tax bases the school districts like it because the bonds that are associated with property taxes will be assessed based upon the assessed value of the adu that's sold and now they generate more money contractors like it because they get to build it realtors like it because they get to sell them but guess who doesn't like it? The person that now has to live with 10 or 15 cars parked in their front yard, all the noise that's associated, all, all the traffic. So it's a double-edged sword. How, but because, you know, follow the money, because these are going to start to generate a lot more tax revenue, they're going to, they're going to put them in. And a lot of this has to do with, you've heard of diversity, equality, uh, equity, equality. So, the theory behind this was when a person built an ADU on their property, they reaped all the benefits of that ADU through rent. So let's say you did put 10 back there. Now you're getting 10 rental incomes on your one piece of land. And it said, well, that doesn't allow for other people to buy the house. So we're going to allow people to participate in home ownership. That may or may not be a bad thing. You, some people want to participate in home ownership. They can buy these units and now they're homeowners and they can seek the equity that will most likely happen as they hold on to these properties for some time. But the bottom line is single family residential is going, may become a thing of the past. And that's really sad for some people who bought homes and we're just looking to sit in their house and retire in a nice, quiet neighborhood. Wow, man. Oh, man. Hey, Mark, it's, it's good amazing. to see you again. It's yeah. good to see yeah. you again, buddy. I, I don't know why, but I, I'm getting these. I'm getting these uh, th th these visions. You can almost call them dystopian nightmare visions of East Berlin style apartment blocks uh, and, and, and China Beijing style mega structures where half the community lives in these buildings and we know that they've tried this stuff before we know that hud has been trying to basically reorganize like 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 society is a is is a government's petri dish here and they're trying to re-engineer society based on stuff like these auds you're talking about most folks if they're good if, if they make enough money throughout their life they may build a mother daughter type situation you're referring to I don't know many people that could afford to put 10 of them on their property. So yeah, there's definitely something more, something more nefarious going on here. Is, is that abundantly clear to you, Mark? Yes, you're, you're right, Steve. So 
most people can't afford to put 10 units on their property. So what you're seeing is people coming in with portfolios and they'll buy any house that has a large enough lot to put these 10 ADUs on. So it's not a single person that wants to bring their granny in or their kid in. It's a corporation that wants to turn a profit. And all of this is designed to get us out of our cars. They wanna create 10 minute neighborhoods. They want us to use public transportation. How are you gonna be able to park? Let's say there's 10 ADUs and there's two people in there each with a car. The street can't handle 20 extra vehicles. Even if they have a, a criteria that says you have to have one on-site parking spot, that's gonna leave 10 cars. So this is all designed to create these 10 minute neighborhoods, get us out of our cars, get us using public transportation, part of this overall climate action plan that's been rammed down our throat that is absolutely just not working. Yeah, you're speaking my language here. You're absolutely speaking my language. I could not help uh, but think that this is just the, you know, one of the uh, little manifestations of the dreams of those over there at the World Economic Forum and the carbon counters. I mean, they want us living in tiny homes. They've tried to make tiny home living trendy and cool. There's television shows, bazillion dollar television shows about how great it is to live in something that's, you know, 200 square feet and all the things you can do and, and the ways in which you're virtuous if you live in a tiny home. But, you know, <laughs> this is going to force communities into tiny home communities because like you said you're going to have corporate interests coming in and doing this or you know maybe someone is going to be setting up one for their you know their their granny or whatever and then their kid comes back and they set up another one and they're like hey this is working out next thing you know they've got 10 and then you know they pass away they sell the property boom here comes that corporate person or that person who's got the money to buy 10 separate pieces of property i mean it, it's um and then like what you said about the neighbors, I mean, this will quite literally destroy neighborhoods and completely change them. And and I mean, Mark, what about this? We also have a migrant crisis, which you and Steve and I have talked about many times. Um, doesn't this not open up um, an opportunity for all kinds of communities that may be making money we don't know how to set up little camps like this encampments i mean this could get very tribal very quickly i would think well not only that the another law that was passed and when i share this with you you you're going to shake your head i can guarantee it so a law passed that does not allow a community to have a crime-free neighborhood what i mean by crime-free neighborhood is when somebody would put an application to rent a house, the rent, the owner would do run a background investigation. They wanna know who is going to be renting this house. No longer can criminal convictions be a criteria for refusing someone to rent a house. So you can get someone who has a rap sheet of assaulting a police officer, assault with a deadly weapon, auto theft, arson, burglary, that can no longer be a criteria. So you're sitting in your apartment complex, you're having a good time, you're with your family, and all of a sudden, the person next door to you is a convicted gang member felon that's done 10 years in prison, and now that's your neighbor. And if 
if a landlord uses any type of filtering device to determine if that person does have a criminal conviction, they can be fined. So no longer is, is that gonna be, and it gets worse. So let's say you live, you're living in a house and some people move in and you start to see cars driving up. Every day cars, you're suspecting drug activity, prostitution, or maybe even um, sex trafficking. And the police are called one time, two times, three times. The police are called 10 times. The neighborhood's reaching out to the landlord saying, hey, get these guys out of here. This is a nuisance. They no longer can use that as a way to evict the tenant. No matter how many times law enforcement is called, that can never be a criteria. Good Lord. I, I mean, I mean, you know, you're right. I'm shaking my head. I just, I, Mark, what has happened to liberty in this country? What has happened to private property rights in this country? What the hell is going on? What are the people in, in California even thinking electing these kind of authoritarian tyrants into office that would do this? I mean, I guarantee you, George Clooney is not going to have to worry about 10 ACUs opening up next door to him. Uh, but the people that might go to his movies sure as hell are. And George Clooney's not going to have a gangbanger living next to him. I don't know why the people in California would vote for this garbage. You know, there's been an ongoing war between government and private property rights. And little by little, they're stripping homeowners of their rights. You know, if you're living in California and you've worked your tail off for your whole life and you've managed to get one income property let's say you inherited it and you're renting it you're using that to offset your medical bills maybe you're on a fixed income and somebody moves in there and they stop paying their rent it is almost impossible to get that person out under six months you have to wait at least three months before you can even start the process and then if they claim that they have some type of a hardship or maybe they have some type of a disability. It, it lingers on and on. And they don't realize that oftentimes the people who are renting these units, they have a mortgage payment on it still. They have to pay it. Now they can't pay their mortgage payment because they're not getting paid by the tenant and they start to go into foreclosure. And the vast majority of, of properties are, are mom and pop. They're not big conglomerates. It's just somebody with one or two homes that have worked their tail off, like I said, just to get this. So I don't know when the voters will realize that the way we're going in California is the wrong direction. We are not doing well here. We have a budget crisis. We pay the highest in gas. We pay the highest in electricity bills. We pay the highest in health insurance, car insurance, and in some areas, you can't even get insurance because these insurance companies had just thrown their hands up and said, we're leaving this state. This is not a state that's friendly to our insurance companies. We're out of here. Mark, I just got back from California and I spoke with multiple friends and family, people I met about being uninsured, de-insuranced. 
It's absolutely amazing. And part of the whole thing is uh, they claim due to fire hazards in the state. Uh, but I have, you know, I know people at Cal Fire who say that, well, this is this kind of like the Spider-Man meme where everyone's pointing at each other for who's to blame, you know, multiple <laughs> Spider-Mans here. Um, and Cal Fire <laughs> is now, uh, you know, unofficially, I just because something I heard on the grapevine, Cal Fire is now saying PG&E doesn't do the wire cutting properly anymore. The trees around the wires, they're not doing it with the same level of care and skill that they used to. So now things are even more likely to tip over on wires. And I noticed in, in your reporting, there's something to do with fire hazards. I mean, um, maybe, maybe you can address the, uh, this hardening fire hardening in fire zones and how that might affect this in a couple minutes here. Okay. So in San Diego, they created high fire zones and very high fire zones. So if you live in a high fire zone or a very high fire zone, you have to do something called fire hardening, which means you have to clear a perimeter around your house so that in case a fire should occur, the trees around your house are not going to catch on fire. It's not going to catch your house on fire, which is not necessarily a bad thing. However, let's say some guy wants to sell their house and they live out in the East County here, you know, more rural area, and they have 10 trees around their house. The fire marshal can go out there and say, you have to cut those 10 trees down. Each tree to chop down is between two and $3,000. So this guy is $30,000 into it before he chops down his first tree. He, he, he can't sell the house, which is, it's, it's insane. And if you live, and I sold a house, if you live in the city and you're by a finger canyon, you, there's not even any brushes around you. You're in a condo. This happened to me. And you could actually be in a high fire zone because what they say is, what if an ember flies up in the air, travels a mile, lands on the roof, and your house catches on fire? So you can be in a high fire zone in a condo, and you ha would have no idea. And, and, and there's two different types of insurance. There's the insurance if you leave your pot on stove and you catch your house on fire, but you need fire insurance in case of a wildfire and it's hard to get so you, you know you know who gives it to you now the government and it's <laughs> really expensive so guess who's making the money once again follow the money yeah it does sound you know what it sounds like mark it sounds like a a long-term strategy of doing exactly what you just said at the top of the uh, top of your segment and that is they are trying to do away with single family owned homes and this fits right in with what hesher touched uh, touched on world economic forum this is you'll own nothing and be happy boy california is <laughs> well down that road aren't they i i don't understand i i understand i i if i had any if i had one business in california it would be a u-haul business because i bet <laughs> you're doing massive business there oh yeah anyway yeah. well mark listen there's our music that means it's time to shut up as always brother Thank you so okay. much for joining us on State of the Nation. We'll do it again. You have a wonderful week, man. Thanks for Thanks joining for us. Me, guys. Take care. All right. Take care. You're listening and watching State of the Nation on today's News Talk. We'll be back with more. Another hour to go after this.